Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. My name is Luke, and I'm your host. This week, I want to do something a little bit different. I wanted to put here some of the YouTube content I've been making because I haven't been able to make the content I've been wanting to make with Alex uh, on Michael Heiser's Unseen Realm yet. But I'm going through a series that I think will work very well, even in just podcast form, uh, simply because I am going through some reactions to videos that really changed my mind about Genesis, about how I read Genesis, about how I understand Genesis. And in these uh, first couple cases, specifically the creation account of Genesis. Now, since I'm reacting to videos of people talking and don't have graphics or anything really like that, I figured it would work well here because, you know, it's me talking, then them talking, then me talking about what they're talking about. So, you know, that it's a conversation in some sense, which is what I do on the podcast anyway. So I want to put the audio here for you to listen to it. If you catch it here and you don't catch it on YouTube, uh, I will link the YouTube uh, link down below in the description if you want to do that. But if you want to listen to this while you're working out, while you're driving, doing whatever you're doing, you don't have to worry about a video sitting there on your phone uh, while it might bump and pause or skip and go to a different video or do whatever, uh, then those are going to be here. I'm going to be posting those as I make them. Uh, and I just finished recording this video. So I'll be posting those as I make them uh, for you guys here on the podcast itself. And I hope, as always, that this is insightful, that it's helpful, that it's useful, and that it is challenging. Uh, to those of you who might have grown up like me in a very fundamentalist context when it comes to the Bible and interpretation and a very literal reading of the scriptures, especially the stories in Genesis. So I hope you guys enjoy and I will see you all You can't see who's in your pockets, but Stevie's inner visions touch your eyes and make the world move. Wifey bob her head and make her curls move. Crown jewel is character and this ain't immortality with fairy dust. Never land, never say I never gave you hands. If I can't give them back, then you look like the lesser man. Learn my lesson, lesser gods want these microphones. I'll be right at home. God take my pen until it's Christ alone. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast dedicated to those deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. This is going to be at the start of a series of videos, a series of videos where I want to talk about how my mind changed about Genesis. I've done, my earliest videos were about how I looked at the Bible uh, and I made some references to this kind of stuff. And it wasn't even as um, progressed as it is now, my thought about Genesis, especially about the first few stories in Genesis, Genesis chapters one through 11 what Marty, I think, very aptly calls the, the uh, preface. But yeah, my mind has changed a lot about uh, just how Genesis is constructed in general, uh, how to read Genesis, the different types of literature that are going on in Genesis, how those are meant to speak to us, what the uh, intended audience was reading, what the authors or compilers I'm tipping my head a little bit, uh, were meaning when they uh, put these stories together, um, kind of just what they are and how how to best read them, I think. But some history first and foremost before we get into the first piece of content that I'm going to be reacting to today. It's going to be a shorter piece of content. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a shorter video. We'll find out. Uh, I'm just kind of, as I've said, these are my you know, these videos are me just thinking out loud. So this is me thinking out loud. I haven't really 
prepared much, although I have, you know, outlined a little bit. I'm going to go chronologically more or less with some of the content that this followed to this, followed that, went to there. Um, but before I go to this piece, I have to give some background information about me, which is I was raised as a missionary kid under the IMB. Now, my parents and I wouldn't consider ourselves Baptist, but I would say that I was very much raised in a uh, fundamentalist, uh, conservative, more or less household. Uh, fundamentalist, I mean, more more or less in the ways that uh, that they see the text or saw the text, I should say, because uh, my family's gone through some of this change too, as I have. Uh, but especially with the influence of where I went to boarding school and then the Baptist mission board that my family and I were involved in. There was a big emphasis on a literal reading of the text, uh, literal seven days of creation, uh, and the text as you know, as Marty would say, a scientific lab report. Um, yeah, and that that didn't really change at all. That was never questioned as I was young. Uh, oh, no. I can't do this video. It has to be a different video. This isn't the video that started it. Sorry, I got to find find the other one now. I was all ready, but I pulled up the wrong video. Ah, yes. Okay. Good, 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 good. good. Got it. Okay, got the right video now. So I might do two two videos in one for this video. Who knows? We'll we'll see we'll see how this goes, how this thinking out loud uh, kind of formulates itself. But so that was my back to back to what I was saying. That was my upbringing. That's kind of the the mode that I was in, uh, and the things that went unquestioned as as I was a young young boy, young man growing up. Um, this was especially the case in uh, high school and I had a wonderful, wonderful man, wonderful Bible teacher, my sophomore year of high school. But there was a lot of ways that went around this question of Genesis or creation. Uh, and that's mainly what I'm going to focus on in these first few videos, uh, which is really kind of the, the, I think the linchpin for a lot of people about how they view uh, those first stories in Genesis. So. Yeah, and even as I say that, there's just so many other things flooding in my head that I forgot about, the things that help me understand the other stories differently. But those are for, for another time. Uh, so right now I'm focusing on how do we take, how did I take the creation account? And I used to take it as literal seven days creation, literal Adam and Eve, historical people, and everyone else coming from them which then you get the classic question of where did Cain's wife come from, which we'll get to that later, uh, which is also part of the Scopes monkey trial debacle. So yeah, this whole debate, I guess, was that that was the tipping point. And I wrote a paper about this last semester. So anyway, all that is to say that was the environment, that was the mindset 
that was what I was raised in. Probably like many of you who are watching this video, maybe not, but I, I would guess so. So I was raised in a very like fundamentalist, literal reading of the scriptures. And that, that was never really questioned. And you got to understand to, to, to understand how this video hit me in a specific way. I, when I was in high school and I was a junior, sophomore, junior year, I started reading a lot more. That's what I hated reading ever before that. I started reading a whole lot more come my sophomore, especially my junior year of high school. And one of the books I read during my junior year was uh, Desiring God. And Piper's whole uh, central claim about enjoyment of God, about how he's most satisfied in us. When, uh, or uh, God is most pleased with us when we are most satisfied in him. Something of that nature is his quote. And I, and I really like that, that viewpoint on it, about being, uh, being happy, being joyous, and desiring God. And that is where you'll find your greatest sense of fulfillment, of happiness, of, of life. I think he's right. I do. I think he's right. Uh, and I had wrestled with Calvinism during this time, too, obviously. Piper being one of the big, you know, new uh, Calvinist or new or Calvinist that was popping up that had a lot of influence within uh, culture and Christianity. Uh, so, yeah, I was a big fan of Piper in high school. And during during my time in college, during my, my time at MSU, so it would have been 2018, 2019, uh, I was flipping through, you flipping through, what is my, what are my words here? Yeah, scrolling through, it's not TV, scrolling through YouTube. And I came across a video of John about, and he does, you know, the Ask John Piper, which are, I think is a fantastic series as a pastor like him doing those, you know, all the time, giving good, most of the time, I believe, good, solid answers to, to, uh, to questions people have. And any questions, but I saw one and it was, do you accept evolution or an old, old earth view? And that's the video I'm going to be reacting to. Now it was the first video, first piece of content really that I saw that just tipped me to understanding this text in a different way. Someone like John Piper, who is, who is reformed, who cares very much about infallibility, about inerrancy, about the authority of scripture about taking it literally could have even a deviation from a literal seven day creation. So I haven't seen this video in a long time. Uh, so this is going to be almost like a fresh uh, watching of it. So we'll see how I react to it and what, you know, what's going on here. So let's see how this goes. All right. Here we are. John, do you accept old earth and evolution? Um, accept. 
<laughs> Meaning, are there people on our Council of Elders who hold to old earth? Yes. Uh, meaning, is that my view? Um, what I said the other day when we were talking about this, we spent probably an hour on this as a staff uh, talking about how we as a church should orient ourselves in, in the conversation of old earth, young earth. Uh, I said there seem to be two viable biblical views for me, and this is going to offend a lot of people. One is young earth, because it seems to me that the natural reading of Genesis 1 is 24-hour days, not... Okay. Uh, now this is me kind of retroactively talking about this video now. Uh, natural reading. Interesting, interesting choice of words. Um, yeah. Interesting choice of words, as Tove can... Yeah. The word for day can be as a time, and as people take it as an age. She's going to talk about in a minute, but yeah, he's talking about a straight, plain reading of the text, which is a big part of Reformed theology. So, yeah. Anyway, this is just an interesting point there. Uh, his 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 choice of words. Day age. And two. Uh, and two. Wait, uh, hang on, hang day on, hang on. Age is twenty four hour days, not day age. Okay, got it. And two, uh, the view uh, that John Salehammer wrote in Genesis Unbounded or in his in his other books, which uh, says that all the creation happened in verses one and two. It may be as old as four trillion years, as far as he's concerned, and that what was happening in Genesis one each day was not the bringing into being of the earth and its various forms, but rather the ordering, the managing, the structuring of things, which allows for 24-hour days, but also allows for an old earth. I lean that way. I, I don't lean towards um, a kind of view that says, um, may I let's scrap that, I, I don't believe in evolution as the way that Adam came to be a human. I think God created... Okay, so he's talking about uh, managing, ordering, that the first bit of the creation story isn't necessarily about uh, the literal creation of things uh, in in the Bible. And you know, reality as an, on, as an ontological statement about you know things coming into being, but but the uh, structuring and the forming that God is doing, um, which is something that John Walton talks about a lot in the near ancient Near Eastern views of creation in general, which obviously the Israelites would share in their stories. So, yeah, I think that. <laughs> Even now, I am I'm, I'm honestly, uh, you know, kind of close to that view as well. Uh, his view, his his comment about Adam, though, is interesting because um, there is uh, there is a lot of tension between, you know, what what you could call is a theistic evolutionist, uh, which is I've I've said before, uh, and this might might turn some people off, 
but I've said before to friends of mine, like I, I probably would consider myself that right now. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's some content that I'll be talking about here at the end of this series, some, some new content that I've seen uh, from uh, Michael Heiser's interview with uh, Swamidas. So yeah, I'm not sure. I, it was just one of those pieces of content that I was like, I don't know what to do with this now because it's breaking the categories that I had before that had already changed. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, That all that is to say, I don't really know what to think about him at this point. Uh, yeah, but I. all that is to say, it was, I'll, I'll let John finish, finish here. Created Adam from the dust of the ground. I think he was uh, unique and that he's the father of all humanity, Adam and Eve, and that he's not the product of long evolutionary process. I can't make that jive with the way the text reads. And I think it's very important that Adam be a historical figure because that's the way he's treated by the other biblical writers. And the heart passage in Romans 5 collapses and the whole nature of God's making with Adam uh, a covenant and then failing and Christ being the second Adam comes to naught if he's not a historical person. Well, no, I, no, I just simply don't agree with that, with that take, with that interpretation, because, because it's not the question of the, the question there with how the other writers of the Bible take uh, Adam being uh, being mostly or centrally the passage in Paul of Paul and Romans is is not the question of did Paul believe in a physical Adam, but how is Paul using Adam in his argument, in his text, in his letter? Is he's using him as a figure, as a stand-in. Uh, and that's not to say that Jesus is supposed to be thought of the same way. I think the the this is a longer debate, but the literary styles of the gospels and the the historical uh, biographical way in which they're written, and then the ways in which Paul treats the reality of the resurrection, as well as all of the gospel writers themselves. Uh, and then you could also, I would also add things like the fact that all the apostles died for their faith in the fact that it wasn't that they heard, as any standing will say, and it wasn't that they read, it was they saw something. So I, I would not argue that, uh, that Christ is to be seen the same way, maybe even Paul saw Adam, but but the point is that whether whether Paul believes Adam is is a, is a historical figure figure or not, or if he's a literary, uh, if he's using that literary motif in a way to say, just like how we talk about Adam bringing about certain things in the world, describing the human condition, Jesus did the same thing, but he did what Adam should have done. And I don't think it matters if Paul thinks that Adam is a literal historical figure for that point to work or not. I, I don't believe that. 
but that's just my opinion. Okay, so we're done with that. So there's that. But but the point I'm trying to make with all of this is, yeah, I'm, and I'm you know tipping my hand to how I think see things now, and I don't think that's bad. I think you'll see how my thought uh, process progressed through through some of this content through through a lot of these things. But yeah, John, that video with John Piper was the first one. And it was to see somebody who I knew took the text seriously and I knew loved their scriptures and I knew loved their Bible and I, and I knew cared about interpretation and exegesis and God and theology to say, yeah, I could take a view where the earth is a lot older because the text might not excuse me, be speaking about uh, creation out of nothing, but more organization, more arranging than uh, that, that could allow for a longer period of time was, was really, really crazy to me. Uh, I didn't know what to do with it, but okay. So I guess we'll move on to the second one real quick. Cause it's also very, very short. Uh, so we'll kind of do these together. Two people who in my in my life were huge influences who I surprisingly came to find took Genesis differently. First one, we just reacted to John Piper, and I just talked you through some of my thoughts on that. Second one, Tim Mackey, man. And if you followed me, the video that I've made that's got the most views, the most uh, engagement is my video thinking about the Bible with Tim Mackey, N.T. Wright, and Andy Stanley. Obviously, when you name drop three of the biggest people in evangelicalism, you're going to get clicks. So, hey, I'm back on it. No, but uh, but yeah, I, I've got a lot of good response from that video. I, I, I think it's been helpful for people, and I'm really happy about that. Um, but, and this is uh, even from uh, – I used clips from this talk in, in that video – of Tim uh, talking about the making of the Bible. It's a great video. I'll link it down below. I'll link both of these videos down below uh, so you guys can go watch uh, watch those on your own if you want. But yeah, this was during the Q&A of this session. Uh, and I had obviously watched this, uh, watched this talk, you know, coming to the end, seeing the Q&A. And I'd been following uh, the Bible Project for a while at this point. Tim was just someone who I saw such deep insight and he would say things sometimes um, because he's very much about literary genres and motifs and story, which is why I love him now. And I fell more in love with his views and interpretation and understanding now than I ever did before. But uh, so he's going to come, obviously come back to, to be a part of this series as we go on. But, Again, I still didn't know what to do with with the creation stories. Uh, I heard John Piper say that, and I was like, okay, cool, but he still takes Adam and Eve literally. So my view at that time after seeing the Piper video was like, I could take a different view of the structure or the timeline of the creation. Sure, fine. But I'm not letting go of a literal Adam. Uh and then that also kind of bounded me to a more or less literalist interpretation of of uh, 
of of the text of Genesis one one uh mostly um never mind questions about the snake and and the trees like we'll get to that we'll get there but i'm just talking about creation itself right now uh so yeah i didn't so me not accepting a a view of of adam that wasn't wasn't historical wasn't literal wasn't the father of everybody uh, still kind of stuck me in this weird yeah i still take it as a literal account of creation yeah some of the language might be interesting but i still pretty much take it as seven days maybe ages maybe times but god's still bringing about all of this god's still doing all this and yeah no no evolution in my mind at this point at all at all um so yeah oh and what a one other thing i must say uh after I saw the Piper video and thought about it for a while, I remember I was hanging out with my buddy, John, hopefully I'll get him on the podcast too. And we were discussing Genesis. I don't know how it came up. I, I think it was because we were talking about uh, new creation. And this is when I first started reading into you, right? I had read the day the revolution began and that just shattered my whole view of salvation and idolatry and what the cross is about. So if you guys want to talk about that, I'm willing to make videos about that, but that'll come way down the line. Uh, just, oh, I feel like I have to at some point, but yeah, that book was so groundbreaking for me. So definitely recommend it. Uh, yeah. And I didn't know, well, maybe I'll make a series of videos about heaven and hell. Cause maybe we'll talk about that more when we get to great divorce, but yeah, I, I had no idea what to do with all that. And so that was all kind of coming to a crash. And oh, yeah, that was a crazy time. Crazy time for me. I didn't know what to do with anything at that point. Man, that was a real deconstruction moment for me. When like just bombs get dropped on what you think you thought about the text. And it's not even, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've been reading that. I had that conversation with John. We talked about new heavens, new earth. Then I got into creation. He talked about how Tolkien writes about creation in Samarillion, how Lewis talks about creation in Narnia. Peterson, I'd got into Peterson, and his really weird views on, you know, analyzing the, the Bible psychologically, going through Genesis bringing up all these things about mythology. And I was like, I don't know what to do with any of this. Uh, Peterson at that point, at least I was like, definitely not a Christian, but I still don't know what to do with it. And he's bringing up some good stuff. So we'll go through some of that, I guess, maybe. I don't know. There's just, just so much we could talk about, but I'm trying to limit it at some level. Uh, so yeah, I I'd been, you know, familiar with other viewpoints now. I've been exposed to a lot more of them. Uh but again, it, you know, it was Peterson, it was it was the psychologist from Canada that I really respected, but it was also like I don't know what I think about his views on the Bible. It's really weird and all that. And I hadn't really sunk in yet. I I hadn't been listening to him for too long. But that definitely came up in that conversation with John. And John 
you know, pressed a little bit on, you know, do you have to take Adam literally, literally, or do you not, uh, you know, and I was just like, I don't know. And then I had a conversation with a big Calvinist friend of mine. This was funny. Cause he was like, I told him about the John Piper, but he was like, yeah, I used to have that view. And then like, if you think about the word, Adama, Adam, dust, earth, human. Like there's a lot more going on here than just telling of the bringing about of a man. It's about what humans are. It's so much more than that. So my mind was already like swimming with a bunch of stuff. And then here comes Tim, who I'd been following for a long time, who I really respected. And I knew loved the text and was so deep in the text that it was ridiculous. Someone who I strive to be like, uh, had a super interesting view on the formation of the Bible. He was breaking a lot of my preconceptions of, of the text itself and what to do with it, how it came about all that, all of that, that I just said, sorry, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but Hey, uh, so yeah, I watched this video about the making of the Bible and this is during the Q and a, he says something and I was like, man, Tim, why you got to do this to me? So I'll play that and we'll react to it. I'm sorry. Can you speak up a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, prob- probably all of those. Yes, yeah, probably all of those. Um, okay, here, yeah, here's one, here's one example. Um, this is just my humble opinion, but I've become more convinced of it through time. Um, it's my humble, and so Mark doesn't know that I'm going to say this. I don't know where his view is. Whatever. But it's, oh, so I'm so. I knew I was in trouble when he said that. Sorry. What are the unhelpful ways that people use the Bible? Uh, and then the comment was, uh, are you sure you don't want to say what are the harmful or deadly ways that people misuse the Bible? Uh, certainly, there have been people groups and nation states that have treated the stories of Joshua and the people going into the promised land, for example, as a framework for thinking about manifest destiny and my tribe and people going into this land and these people are like the Canaanites. And how many, how many people through history have viewed themselves and their group as Joshua going into the promised land? Many, many. And that's a, it's destructive and it's an absolute betrayal of the teachings of Jesus, in my humble opinion. Um, another example that's a little more hot topic, but I think I have a deep conviction that it's a dead end and it's not helping anybody is treating the Bible as if it's a a manual about this timeline and physical processes by which the physical universe came into existence. Catch, pay attention to those words in, 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 in correlation to, to the words Piper used. John said processes and correlate and correlations. I can't talk. I'm tired. 6.30. I'm such an old man. Our brain dead stu- grad student. 
pick one. Maybe they're the same thing. <laughs> uh, why do I laugh like Andrew Schultz? That's kind of sad. Um, shout out to Andrew Schultz, by the way. Uh, yeah. So let's play that again. And it's an absolute betrayal of the teachings of Pick, but I think I have a deep conviction that it's a dead end and it's not helping anybody is treating the Bible as if it's a, a manual about this timeline and physical processes by which timeline and physical processes. When that was the central worry of Piper's uh, reading of the text. It was about how can you stretch the timeline and what are the processes? Are they literal creation? Are they organizing and management? And Tim's saying, maybe those questions aren't the right questions. Maybe the way that that frame is, like the picture's still in there, but what you have to think about is what are you using within that picture? How are you framing it? And so he's what Tim is arguing, in contrast to what we've just seen Piper say, is maybe those questions, even and this was like, for me, maybe Luke, even those questions that you're like, mm, Piper's changed your mind about those. Maybe those questions aren't even the right questions. I was in trouble because I didn't know what to do. Let's keep going. The physical universe came into existence. I, I think the author of Genesis 1 through 3 in particular had just totally different purposes for what he's doing on those pages of the Bible. So what is he doing? I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with this. And that we're actually, we're hurting our Christian witness uh, by making those chapters refer to what we think are the physical processes by which the physical universe came into existence. And I just made a bunch of you angry. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and that's or you confused a bunch of us and just made us pull our hair out. And that's fine. We're followers of Jesus. We can sit down and have a loving, intelligent debate about these things. But that's what I'm talking about. Reading this literature in context means honoring where it came from and what these authors meant when they wrote it in their cultural setting. Uh, and once you start doing that on a regular basis, I begin to see every day ways that I've misunderstood uh, or misappropriated uh, the Bible. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. We got to... We got to go back over that again real quick. We can sit down and have a loving, intelligent debate about these things, but that's what I'm talking about. Reading this literature in context means... Reading this literature in context. Keep careful. He's very careful, and I'm getting hype about this because uh, it's so important. I think it's so important to read the text with integrity. And part of what it means to read the text with integrity... Don't mind the plane flying by if you can hear it. My window's open because it's warm in this attic. Uh, means that you take the biblical literature for what the literature is. Poetry. We're reading it as poetry. If it's, we'll get to this later. If it's mythology, which that word scares so many Christians, but I think it's because we think about mythology wrong. Mythology. We read it as mythology. If it's 
historical narrative, or we read it as historical narrative, if it's prophecy, we read it as prophecy. And then it gets more complicated because a lot of what we consider the historical books in our Bible, our Protestant Bibles, our Greek Septuagint formations of the biblical canon are considered prophetic books in the Tanakh. So what is going on? Okay. You got to read this literature or the kind of literature that it is. I'm not going to read a bibliography or a bibliography. (laughs) I'm not going to read a biography like I would read children's fantasy. That would be stupid. So let's not be stupid with the biblical text. Let's be courageous. Maybe that's the right word. Let's be courageous that we read the literature or the type of literature that it is. But that also means we're going to have to get more educated about what kind of literature we're reading. It's honoring where it came from and what these authors meant when they wrote it in their cultural setting. Uh, and what these authors... Reading this literature in context means honoring where it came from and what these authors meant when they wrote it in their cultural setting. So it's funny because if you think about this in more uh, philosophical terms, in more uh, in more of what this means for philosophy, this is at once like modern and postmodern. And I took a critical approach to literature class my junior year of high school or high school of uh, college at MSU. And that was, eh. uh, anyway, I have a lot to say about that. Not that some of those things aren't helpful, but for the majority of the part, I think that that kind of education, it, it aims to be like inclusive and helpful. But I think at the end of the day, it makes more cynics than anything. And I don't think that's helpful when you're approaching any kind of literary text, whether it's the Bible or not. So, yeah, but this claim for what what did the original author mean when they wrote it and what did the audience read when they read it is postmodern. It's almost it's actually like Kantian in the sense that uh, like you have a certain like it's perspectivist in the sense that, you know, that you're bound to a certain perspective because of your time place and like you as a person, even me right now embody like an embodied person. I'm sitting in this chair. I'm recording this video. I'm looking at this camera. I'm worried about what's on the screen. There's so many other things that I can't pay attention to because this is what is capturing my attention. And that's the same way with everything. So you have a certain perspective and you you can't jump your own shadow. It's impossible. But that also doesn't mean so the complete objectivity, which is what Kant was 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 going against in his uh in his objection of pure reason, because uh, the Enlightenment put forward the idea that you know that human ration that man is the measure of all things, that human rationality is how we get there, that uh that, that will lead to a Almost, if you take it to a logical conclusion, a completely objective view of the world of things, 
And that's just simply not true because we're all bound by perspective at some level. That doesn't mean that you can't be objective. The goal should be to be as objective as possible, but complete objectivity is an impossibility epistemologically. Let the reader understand that sentence. So it's that once postmodern because there's a certain level of, of perspectivity that is that is just inherent in the text. I'll use that word. It's inherent in the text because it's not written by you know 21st century English speaking Americans or Europeans for that matter. It's written by ancient Israelites in the ancient Near East. 3,000, 3,500 years ago. They didn't have the same conceptions of the world that we did. They didn't have the same conceptions of literature, of history, of prophecy that we did or we do. They are bound by their time, by their perspective, by what John Walton, I think, will very rightfully call their cultural river and learning, as Michael Heiser would say, to read the text with the ancient Israelite in your head is very important because it wasn't written to you. It wasn't written to me. It was written for us, but it wasn't written by us or to us. So we can't act like that. So we have to treat the literature not as its own literature, right? This is where the postmodern postmodernism kind of breaks down as well, because it's not about what was funny about my, my critical purchase literature class when I was in college was the one rule that we had was you have to get it from the text. So, but this isn't this isn't the same thing. This isn't as long as you can prove it in the text, then you're right. This is very much so critical. Uh, a critical approach to literature, a postmodern approach to literature, would posit something like death of the author. Like the author's intent doesn't matter. The analogy my teacher gave me when I pushed back on this about uh, you know say take the Great Gatsby for instance. So we know that Fitzgerald was a raging alcoholic. Uh, he was a pretty depressed guy, and he cheated on his wife a lot. Well, if you read The Great Gatsby, that's all over the place. That's the character of Tom, B Tom Buchanan. I'm not saying Fitzgerald is Tom. I'm just saying his life reflects a lot of things that go on in the story. And you have to, if you know that, it gives you some insight into maybe why things are the way they are in that story. Why Fitzgerald frames things the way he does. Why Fitzgerald puts certain characters in there, right? And what my teacher said is, no, in Death of the Author, if we found a letter tomorrow where Fitzgerald said, "This is the these are my themes, this is the meaning of the Great Gatsby, it wouldn't matter because it's all about how you interface with the text. And that is not at all what Tim is saying here. Tim is at once arguing the perspectival nature of the text of those who wrote it but he is very much arguing for authorial intent. And this is key, key when it comes to scripture, and we'll get into ideas about inspiration with Heiser later. But if we believe, one of the hallmark beliefs of Christianity, of Judaism and Christianity, is the inspired nature of this text. Whatever we mean when we say inspired, it's something like God prompted specific people at specific times to write these things doesn't mean they were in a trance, doesn't mean they didn't know what they were saying, doesn't mean they weren't literary geniuses, but it means that at some level, God was working through these people trying to convey things to us, but he was conveying it to them at their time and their place in ways they could understand. So we have to do the hard work 
of going back and trying to understand that before we apply it to our cultural river. We can understand theirs before we jump in back into ours. So this is not death of the author, but this is a very perspectival reading of the text and honoring the type of literature and the authors of that text. So it is at once postmodern and not at all. It's very tricky, but I'm not here to be a, a ideologue when it comes to any of these forms of philosophy. And even, even that some critiques of postmodernism aren't even, aren't even some critiques postmodernism brings to the table aren't even originally postmodern. So, you know, as I said with Kant and his uh, critique of pure reason. So yeah, that was way before postmodernism came along in the, in the French uh, new wave, basically. Uh, you could also, I mean, this having a cinema and anyway, uh, yeah, a bunch of, but uh, just to say that Tim was beginning to open my mind to these things. He's beginning to open my mind to, oh my gosh. Yeah. The Bible was written by people who were nothing like me. And they used words and ideas to convey things that are nothing like how I think about things. So maybe when they talk about creation, they aren't worried about the scientific account because they knew nothing about science. We'll get to that later. But these were the first two pieces of content that got my mind rolling, that got my mind thinking. So it's long-winded. I know I run off into rabbit trails everywhere, but hey, maybe maybe there's something in there that's cool that you like that's good. So yeah, there it is. Well, if you like this, please give it a like, subscribe. Podcast will be linked below. More episodes coming soon. Hopefully episodes regarding uh, the Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. Uh, more episodes like this to come in the future. Uh, walking through how my mind changed about Genesis. They always, well. right they now always say creation. there's more to it. Look at the details. They always say they going yeah, through it. Life is a female. Dog, that would be me. She said, let's go to Hong Kong, but I'm only 18. Ain't got money for Hong Kong. If she'd have asked me last year, I'd have been long gone. Shit, cause we all dogs, and I hope we all go to heaven. I promise we had it all wrong circa 2007. Uh, it's so true, these mind games control you. Passion is full of its own hue. Cold blue.